Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Kings. I just want to take just a quick 30,000-foot view of Elijah this morning. Uh, I, I, you know, there's so much in the, in the life of Elijah. By the way, come back next week because I'm going to be talking about Jezebel. And if you know who Elijah was, you know who Jezebel was. And I don't talk much about Jezebel, but I think it's worth you knowing who she was and, and how not to operate like her in this year. You want to be like Elijah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we're going to kill them Jezebels out there. <laughs> so if you have a Jezebel lurking on the inside recesses of your heart, come next week. We're going to have, we're going to have a big old altar. We're going to sacrifice those things and have a great time. <laughs> It'd be, be a great service. No, it really will be. It'll be a great service. I, I, the reason I want to teach on that is because I, I don't feel... And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about Jezebel spirits and all that. Don't, get, don't leave here thinking we're going to get into all the hocus pocus stuff. Because I don't do that. You know that. Uh, but I think it's valuable for us to take a look at breaking what a religious mindset will prevent in this coming year. Amen. I think it's worth us taking a look at what a religious mindset will do in preventing you from stepping into all that God has for you in 2017. So that's going to be next week. But this week, I just want to take an overview, if we can, um, a drone view, if you will, of, of Elijah and his life. Some of you looked at me and said, what's a drone? Okay, well, that's another story. <laughs> First Kings, and, and I don't, I'm not necessarily going to read a particular passage of Scripture. I just want to kind of go through for you. And just highlight the events that we see in Elijah's life right here at the beginning of his ministry. We don't know a ton about him. There's not a lot of information that's given to us in advance. First Kings 17 is really where it picks up. Elijah's ministry really starts. We don't see a ton. But Elijah went through some garbage. He had some challenges in his life. He was a great prophet. You know, he had a, a great ministry. But man, was his ministry full of some rough challenges. And so in 1 Kings 17, we find Elijah's ministry starting off with King Ahab, who was not a nice guy. He was, he was restoring all the Baal worship. He, was, he married Jezebel, who we just talked about a minute ago. And, and here he is, he's, he's not sticking to the teachings and the ways of David that had been established of worship. You know, we're now, uh, you know, a hundred or so years past David, and now he's, he is totally in rebellion, and this is the king that Elijah is coming up against, and the Lord speaks to Elijah and tells him a great word that he needed to go and and speak to King Ahab. He says, go and tell him it's not going to rain until I tell it to. Now, I don't know about you. (laughs) I've seen God move and do some pretty incredible things, but that takes some spiritual guts to walk up to the king of Israel and say, excuse me, sir, it's not going to rain until I tell it to. There better be some proof in that or your head's going to be on a platter. You know, that's a significant statement to make. In 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. I mean, Elijah's got some pretty, pretty, 
spiritual guts here saying, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's how his ministry starts. Now, I, I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but most of us are terrified at the thought of even leading a small group, let alone going before the President of the United States and saying, buddy, it ain't going to rain until I tell it to. All of us would be looking at each other, scratching our heads, saying, well, the Secret Service got him. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> or she disappeared. And then from there, so he goes and he has this encounter with Ahab. And he goes from there, God tells him to go to the brook Cherish. Now, this is an interesting, uh, this is interesting for him because, or Cherith, I'm sorry. He tells him to go to the brook Cherith and says, I will, I will give you water there and I will send the raven to feed you. Now, of course, we all know, you know, the raven is a dirty bird for the Israelites, right? They're, they're not supposed to eat ravens. So God, God will use dirty birds to speak to you and to provide for you. You, you may find yourself in a situation where, and, and I've been there, where God will use the most unlikely people to speak into your life. He'll give you the treasures of darkness through the most unusual ways. He'll use the unclean, the dirties, the people that you classify as forgotten or undesirable. God will use them to speak in your life in a unique way. I think back over this year, we have seen God do incredible things through Night of Hope. We've had an incredible ministry through Night of Hope. 25,000 meals, over 25,000 meals served, hundreds of haircuts. I, I forgot the statistics in my office, I'm sorry. But there's a whole slew of hundred. we're not talking a small measure here. This is what God has done this year has been incredible through Night of Hope. God will minister in our community through the most unusual ways. None of us, if you would have told me in November December is going to be one of the hardest months of the year that you're ever going to face and you're, you're going to deal with incredible craziness in the month of December. I would have laughed at what we had to walk through in December as a church. I've never, I've never would have thought in my wildest dreams that we would bury a family of four and a remaining 12-year-old daughter would have to walk through all that she's walking through. I never would have expected any of those things to happen. But God will use the dirty birds in your life. He'll use, in the middle of the rough situations, here comes in the influx of resources. In comes an opportunity on our doorstep. Every, every media outlet from Cleveland up in our balcony watching us as we preach and proclaim hope through Jesus Christ. Hey, I didn't, ha I didn't go ask them to come. I, want, I try to get them to leave us alone. They still won't leave us alone. I still get text messages from media outlets saying, hey, what's going on? Do you know this or that or the other thing? And I'm just, leave me alone. <laughs> Let me disappear. But you know what the, the awesome thing about that? God took an ugly situation and he's using it for his glory. Don't ever doubt the horrible situations or the hard situations in your life, God will use them for his glory. 
And it's interesting. So, you know, Elijah goes to the brook. He camps out there by the brook. God says, go do this. The information that God left out was the brook's going to dry up. (laughs) Have you ever done something at the direction of the Lord and there was a season change in the middle of it and you thought, God, what are you doing? This brook just dried up. You are the one that sent me here. You are the one that told me to come to this blasted brook. And now it's drying up. That could have been information that you gave me at the very beginning. Maybe we should have found a different brook that's not affected by the famine. Anybody been there before? Season. It's called season change. It's called going through a season change in life. When God sends you through a season change, he always has a resource on the other side of it. It's called the widow of Zarephath. He'll never... He'll never allow you to go through things that he hasn't prepared beforehand. What did he tell him? I've commanded a widow to take care of you. Now, this is interesting. The story only gets better. Elijah goes to find this widow. And he, he, he finds the widow. He walks up to her and says, hey, you. I'm putting it in today's vernacular. I'm not saying you're a widow by any means, but you're sitting on the front row. We wouldn't wish that on Darius, right? Okay. Hey, you, go fix me. Go fix me a sandwich, woman. I mean, that's what he says. Go, you know. Now, this is interesting because the widow here, either she had not had any communication with the Lord yet. Because remember, God told him, I've commanded a widow there. So either God was lying, which I don't think he was, or she was stuck on her lack and not on what God had said. Because what was her response? I don't got nothing. You go fix yourself a sandwich, buddy. (laughs) I'm an independent woman. This is not how this works. (laughs) Isn't that what she said? I mean, obviously that's not what, you know. I'm, I'm interpreting. No, but she said, I don't have anything. My son and I, were going to die. We don't have anything. I don't have anything to give you. And he says, go take what the little you have and make me something. Just take, just take the little that you have. There's always a miracle in your house. There's always a miracle. There's always, there's always a supply. There's, God always has exactly what you need in that moment, and he'll make and he'll work a miracle through it. So she goes and she fixes what she has. He eats and the flour doesn't run dry. Elijah moves in and he eats. She eats and her son eats. And God takes care of them in the middle of the famine. God will always take care if he's called you. Listen to what I'm saying. If he has called you to do what you're doing, he will supply all. That's what Paul wrote all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He doesn't lie. When he says, I've commanded a widow to take care of you, whether she realizes it or not, that widow is going to take care of you. When God says, you're marked, guess what? You're marked and you can't get out of it. You can try. Jonah tried. Didn't go so well for him. 
God had him marked and he had a big fish ready for him. God already knew Jonah was going to run. He created that fish along whether that fish started out as a little bitty baby or God made a big fish out of nothing. We don't know. But God knew in advance if you go by the natural order of time here that that big fi- that big fish needed to be a big fish to swallow a big man. He created a long time ago a fishy that had to grow into a big fishy to swallow a big man and spit him out on Nineveh. So don't think for one moment that if God has called you and has marked you that he won't provide for you along the journey. He's already gotten all the details worked out. Just enjoy the journey. And then he goes on. So the the widow, Elijah moves in with the widow and then the next thing happens. The widow's son dies. And this is where the story starts to take an interesting turn. This is kind of where I was headed. The widow's son dies. And what, what is Elijah's response? God, did you bring me here to bring tragedy on this family? Elijah's faith starts to take a turn. Life starts happening. And Elijah's faith takes a turn. And he starts to look at God and say, God, is this all there is to it? Is this, what, is this why you're doing this? Is that, that you can bring me into a family to bring tragedy? And then he goes on. He raises the son to life. He goes on and God says, hey, it's been three years. You've been in a famine and a drought. Guess what you're going to do now? Ahab's really ticked at you. <laughs> Ahab's really mad at you. He wants to kill you. You're going to go find him. And you're going to tell him it's going to rain again. So he goes and he finds the man that has a wanted poster all over town for him and says, he goes up to him and says, excuse me, sir, it's going to rain, but before it happens, you're going to meet me on top of Mount Carmel. I want you to bring all the prophets of Baal and I want you to bring all the prophets of Asherah and we're going to see who's God. And they go up on the mountain. 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asher, they're all there. And we know the story. They start cutting themselves and doing all their things to get their God to respond. And Elijah's taunting them and harassing them. And he's sleeping. You got to be a little bit louder. Come on, turn up the volume. A little antagonistic there, you know, with him. And then what what does he do? Bring out the water. Fill up, fill it up. Cover it. Cover the sacrifice. Cover the trench in front of the side. Cover it up. Just fill it with water. And fire falls from heaven. And then what's he do? Kill them all! And they all, 400, eight, you know, 900 prophets, whatever, all die at his command. Now, I don't know about you, but you can see the progression here of Elijah's life. These are some definite emotional high, emotional lows, very, very intense moments. He goes out to the edge of the sea and he says to a servant, go look for the rain. He sends his servant not once, not twice, seven times. If I was Elijah sitting there, I'd just seen the fire fall and consume the sacrifice immediately, and I was sitting there waiting for the rain that God said was going to come. Okay, God, it's been five times now. There's no rain. You said it was going to rain. Why is it not raining? Where's the rain? And then when the prophet comes back, and say, or the prophet's servant comes back, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. My thought, God, that's all you can do? That's the best you've got? I mean, can't there be like a hurricane? You know, let's see some power here. 
And he takes off running and the spirit of the Lord comes on him and he takes off running and he outruns Ahab's chariot. I don't care if you got the spirit of the Lord on you or not, that is going to affect your physical body at some point. He just outran his chariot from where he was to Jezreel. This, we're talking a couple miles here that he outran this chariot. This is a big deal. And he gets to Jezreel and word is sent to him, Jezebel wants you dead. You just killed all of her prophets. She's mad at you and she has vowed that the same death you just gave to them, she's going to give to you. And what is Elijah's response? He runs out into the wilderness. He's fearful. Life has happened. Challenges have happened. Circumstances have happened. He's had great spiritual highs and he's had great spiritual lows. He has had, for all intents and purposes, the abundant life. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He has experienced the fullness of the highs and the fullness of the lows. And now he's out in the wilderness hiding under a broom tree. God didn't tell him to go there. He went there on his own. But it's interesting that God did not condemn him for running out into the wilderness. God sent an angel and food and water to sustain him and said, you need to eat, you need to take care of yourself, you need to rest. And that, my friend, is where we need to find ourselves in this year and the rest of our lives, actually, is that we're not striving and struggling over the details and the results. Elijah, throughout his life, and we see this when he's on Mount Horeb, says, God, Israel has abandoned you. And you can see in his response to God that his idea, his thought, was that he was to restore, it was his personal mission to restore the people of Israel back to a right relationship with God. That, my friend, is something that only God can do. Whether you're a prophet, preacher, care group leader, or just the person sitting on the pew, you can't change man's heart and mind and their response to God. Ask me how I know. <laughs> I, you, you can't do it. And that was Elijah's mission. God, they have forsaken you and there's no one else. There's, not, there's no one else in all of Israel. They've all bowed to worship Baal. And in that response on Mount Horeb, we see that Elijah's mentality was that he was there to change them. Our response and what will cause us to end up in the wilderness and the place of dryness, barrenness, hurt, rejection, fear, all of those things will be trying to do it in our own strength and accomplish something that God never intended for us to accomplish and that we're not able to accomplish even in our own strength. God is the one who is able to change the heart of man, not us. God is the one who is able to work in that situation. If you could change it, you would have done done it. If you could have fixed it, you would have done done it. So if in 2016, junk has happened, sit under the broom tree, let God minister to you, and get back about the business that the Lord has called you to. Not doing it in your own strength. What had God called Elijah to? If you, if you fast forward, sorry, to the end of his life, he's on Mount Horeb or not the end of his life, but the end of what we're talking about today. Fast forward, he's on Mount Horeb, and God asks him, speaks to him in his spirit, man, what are you doing here? 
You know, when we hear questions like that, we often think God is being condemning. What are you doing here? You know, it's the same thing in the Garden of Eden. How many of us were taught as little kids, God, where are you? God was angry with Adam and Eve. Where are you? God knew exactly where they were. He wasn't asking for, their, for his awareness. He was asking for their awareness. Same reason he was asking, God knew exactly where Elijah was and what he was doing and why he was there. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, his response, 1 Kings 19.10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Look at all I've done, God. Look at all, look at all, my, all of my accomplishments, God. I've been zealous for you. Look at all that I've done. Look, rewind the story of my life, God. Nobody has done the things that I've done. That's what he's saying here. God, look at the story of my life. Look at all these things. And the people of Israel have forsaken you. And I alone am left. You can hear in his voice the tone of loneliness. Depression has set in. Loneliness has set in. And he is despondent. And all he's focusing on is Jezebel, one person who wants him dead. One person. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? And he said, go out. God said, go out on the mountain. Go out. I'm going to speak to you. Now, we often, we say, and we've probably heard it said before, that God only spoke through, God was only in. He was only in the small voice. That's not what the Bible says. If you read it, it says the Lord stood. The Lord was right there in all of them. But God spoke in that moment through the small voice. There was a strong wind and the rocks were dashed. There was an earthquake. There was a fire and there was a still small voice. God speaks any way he wants to. And in that moment, Elijah needed a still small voice. But God was saying in that moment, if you need a strong wind to come wreck your world, guess what I'm going to do? If you need an earthquake to shake things up, if you need a fire to burn some stuff out, God is able to do and to speak in any way necessary for you to hear him and to understand him. And in that moment, Elijah needed the still small voice and God speaks, this time audibly to him, what are you doing here? And of course, Elijah gives the same response. Focusing on on what you don't have and the problems that you do have will keep you from anointing the generation that God does have. What is it that God, what was the, what was the whole point of all of this for Elijah? Elijah, I want you to go anoint the next king of Israel. I want you to go anoint the next king of Syria and I want you to anoint the next prophet. But the longer you hang out on this mountain, sulking and nursing your wounds, it's going to keep you from anointing who's next. You see, our lives are not about, I heard someone say it, our lives are not about me, us. Who has God placed in your life? Who has God placed in your life that he's called you to anoint, to place that mantle on, to pass the baton, to disciple, staying focused on what has happened, 
will keep you from stepping into what God has for you. Amen. So that's just my 30,000 foot view. And as I predicted, people will leave when you hit 12 o'clock and they're ready to go. So we need, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. <laughs> we're going to worship and we're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Grace and the worship team are going to lead us in this song that we sang earlier, Lord, You Are Good. And I want us just to all come in just a moment. I want us to all come and, and to gather around the front, to worship together around the front. But here, I want to encourage you, 2017, in 2017, get, get out, get away, close the door on what has happened this year. Learn from it, grow from it, move away from what has transpired this year. And say, God, what do you have this year? What's next? Lord, I've, I have drank from the water of life. I've drank from the, the bread, the manna from heaven. I've sat under the broom tree. I've heard from you, Jesus. I've been ministered to you, Lord. And now it's time to get up and go anoint. It's time to get up and go anoint that who's next. It's time to go pour into who's next. It's time to go minister to who's next and equip them. To share with them all that you've done in my life. To share with them all the victories that I've seen you brought in my life. Hallelujah. So can we do that? Can we worship together? Can, let's come. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's come. Let's gather around the front. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.